Welcome to Try Not to Blink, a podcast about the ups and downs, ins and outs, news, tips and tricks of those who live the optometry lifestyle. We'd like to thank the amazing people at Valley Contacts who have made this podcast possible. Makers of stellar gas permeable lenses and the oh-so-incredible custom-stable scleral lens. In case you're wondering, I'm on the East Coast. My name is Dr. James Diem, and I'm joined by my talented co-host, who is repping the West Coast, Dr. Roya Habibi. What is up, Roya? This is about, we're almost at Academy Week. Here, I could smell the Pacific breeze. (laughs) Thus, that means... We are about to be in literally this week is Academy. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! It's like I'm on the plane on the way right now. Exactly. Yeah, maybe you or are. Or anyone who's listening to this, as it drops on Wednesday morning, I am doing the year in review, nice. uh, like it's a rapid fire nice. uh, thing at Academy with Dr. Bullboats, uh, Dr. Garlic. And Dr. Jake Lang, and it should be super fun. Nice. So come listen to that. We're gonna be like throwing out presents and stuff like that, so you nice. don't want to miss out. Hundred dollar bills. Is that allowed? Like that. I think I'm gonna call the CE <laughs> police on that one. I don't know. Like I'm not a. Not well, you'll right have to be there that, to witness Roya. it. You'll have to be there to witness. You already if it get actually pulled into this academy lecturing you know with the these this group you know they pull these strings and get in every year so i don't know if you could just do that stuff i'm gonna call the ce police on you guys oh don't be so bitter (laughs) (laughs) so yes no go to the lecture it's very good you guys do a great job i'm kind of excited thank you i'm excited to like be around people this is have I been? I guess we went. I went to optometry's meeting. Okay, yeah, yeah. Last year. Wasn't this, not since you've been in Costa Rica? Though. No, not since. This is my first since Costa Rica. Yeah, which has been a, a while. Yeah. So you're gonna be like all. You've been back to like the states though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But still, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be nice. You'd be to, like a fish out of water. You're gonna be like walking around with your sandals and your like uh, your your. I'll be pick, like birds. Your so uh, what's your game you play? Pickleball racket. You'll be with <laughs> your pickleball racket. racket. You'll be walking exactly. around with like your uh, pina colada cup and your sunglasses. Coco loco, definitely. <laughs> be funny. <laughs> no, it'll be great. I'm excited. I'm gonna like go to like. 30 lectures because I'm so out of it. Yeah. Just kidding. Be like... No, it'll be awesome. Being a student all over again. Precisely. Cool. Well, I think uh, the uh, beyond that, it's fall, you know, so it's uh, up here in the Northeast. We are enjoying the colors and you know the big talk in our household is what are we going to be for halloween we always do a themed halloween uh, we've done um we've done moana we've done um frozen uh, of course everybody has to do frozen with kids and then this year it's it's still up for debate i'm not sure we always do a halloween party at our house so it's a big deal we really have to to go for it so anyway What's it going to be? Is it a secret? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. It's a debate. I, I'm never, I don't have any say, as you could probably imagine. Shocking. I'm just yeah. told, you know, so that's. 
Don't know. We'll see. I'll post a picture of of uh, of that. Okay, I have a question for you mm-hmm. on eye topic. Not to go to the c word, but you know we have to bring it up here mm. and there. Do we? COVID. Uh-huh. So there was a recent study published saying that, uh, well, it was cases actually, four uh. cases of acute corneal transplant rejection uh. associated to the um, COVID mRNA vaccine. Mm, interesting. But let's just talk COVID and eye things recently. I recently had a patient actually here who okay. was talking to us about how she actually got a um, uh, retinal detachment shortly after getting COVID. Mm-hmm. Not the vaccine, just straight up COVID. Okay. And she's like, do you think, you know, everyone's always, whenever that happens to them, especially because she had some visually vision loss, she wants to know why, right? She wants to know, was it related? Right, of course, and yeah. I don't know, right? Have you heard of anything? Like, what if, not to say, have you heard of retinal detachments, but what have you heard about in that world, in that realm? Like that eyes world? and... Yeah. Uh, anything and everything you could possibly imagine is what I heard, you know? So, I mean, I think it's something that, you know, is is not shown or proven. You know, the the thing that I think there may be some connection to is... Um, vascular things, because I've seen that now a couple different times, and that just kind of makes more sense to me than um, some of these other more random things. But, you know, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> so, but it's just, it's like one of those things where, you know, no matter what happens after you've either A, had COVID or B, had the, um, had one or several of the vaccines, it's then because of having it or of having had the the vaccine which just you know just think about it like it's just not there you can't it's an prove association. it it's hard it's an association yeah. totally so. well the the just as a really brief summary i read this in 2020 glance which is basically my best way of staying on top of trending news and right i mean otherwise <laughs> we would be totally lost <laughs> right so the she the study or the report was based on it was published in Cornea, actually. It was four cases of acute corneal transplant rejection. And um, essentially, like, if you just jump to the, like, TLDR part, it said that um, epithelial rejection lines appeared fainter with improved visual acuity and corneal edema five weeks after diagnosis. Frequent And frequent topical corticosteroids alone were initiated in all, all cases. Um, one of the patients experienced complete resolution. Um, the other two also experienced improvement with steroid treatment. But essentially, it's saying that acute corneal epithel- or endothelial rejection may occur after either dose of the vaccine. Dot, dot, dot. Right? Hmm. It's like yeah, acute corneal rejection can happen quickly after any transplant. Like, a, like after having a rejection, after having the- an, a transplant. The most, like, uh, like the most risky time after a transplant is right after a transplant. Yeah, and, and having the risk of a, a transplant rejection occurs after you have a transplant. Period. Right. Period. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, the, the, I don't know. Different. I guess like you would. I, I don't know. I just don't know. Well, I, anything just, you do after surgery, right? Your body's inflamed. Your body's dealing with stuff, and then you add, you know, this vaccine, which kind of does induce an inflammatory thing. Of course, it's maybe going yeah, to happen. Yeah, it makes right? it. There is some sense to it, I suppose. But I, I think, you know, my my stance is I'm neither, you know, um, 
like oh yeah definitely or like you're crazy i'm not either one of those things and that's just kind of how i practice like i've always been that way like when people come in they're like you know what i take this like crazy you know naturopathic you know sea salt whatever mixture with cinnamon turmeric and i put it in apple cider vinegar and i pray to you know the rock down the road and and that's what i do and i just say you know if that's working for you great like keep doing that and then also take this and then you know we'll we'll see you know how we do in in a month or in two months or keep doing that and if it doesn't seem to be working let's let's try something else and and we'll go from there you know like let's just keep an open mind and i'll keep an open mind and totally yeah i mean i think that one of the things to me that was I, I've actually, I've, I'm on that same train. Like I've always kind of been, I'm not going to be the one to like rain on your parade and yeah, we don't know no, everything. Just, There's so many things we don't understand right. about life in general. Right. But the study that came out a couple of years ago about how meditation, I think we talked about this on our show, right. meditation lowered eye pressure clinically significantly, right? I, 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 I'm just saying this off the top of my head. I don't even have the study in front of me, but it said meditation is effective for lowering eye pressure. And if that is, and it was published in a legitimate journal, like it was a big study done, well, whatever, I'm not, I'm not going to overhype the study, but the point is like, there is so much that maybe stress and if you have a routine and if you have peace of mind, even if it's by drinking like, you know, turmeric or, you know, saying a prayer every night or whatever it is that relieving stress can do for your general health. So like, as long as you give people some like confidence in what they're doing is working, I think that's important, right? Absolutely. Because that amount of stress relief and that confidence you can give them is important for their overall health. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. But we have a fun topic on that same note of glaucoma. We are favorite glaucoma expert. Okay, everybody. So we are here uh, tonight because we picked a number out of a hat and that number was number 83. And number 83 just so happens to be the uh, highest grossing listenership uh, podcast that we've ever done. At one point in time, that was true. I don't know if that's still true, but at one point in time, that was absolutely true. And it is because we had the uh, glaucoma optometric extraordinaire, Dr. Justin Schweitzer. Uh, Not only is he a really, really excellent um, lecturer, you know, uh, advocate for the profession of optometry, but he's also just a good guy and uh, somebody that you could walk up to approach and, you know, feel like, you know, you are going to be listened to, heard, understood, and um, just, just a good person. And so uh, when, when uh, we need some, uh, some glaucoma uh, excitement, 
uh, certainly we, we look to him and he always answers the call. We do really appreciate that. Uh, so we thought it's been way too long since we've discussed glaucoma. Uh, we are often talking about ocular surface, scleral lenses, practice management. We've been talking a lot about Costa Rica lately. And um, we thought, you know what? It's time to talk about glaucoma. So what is up, Dr. Justin Schweitzer? How are you? Hey, thanks so much for having me. Hard to believe uh, episode uh, 83 was the highest grossing. That's crazy. Grossing. It is. It has been. It was. I don't, I, I don't know if it still is. Okay. I don't know if I, we can I have still to retract my title, statement. But. I have to retract my statement. We had you on episode 65. Wow. Even more impressive, right? And then we had you back for our like glaucoma month. That was right. in the January after that. So I actually was wrong. Right. 65. Yeah, I knew there was two times because I remember the one time. Uh, He's keeping a track. He's keeping tallies. Spirit animal, man. You asked me the spirit animal question. Do you remember what your answer was? Has it changed? What's going on? It, you know what? It actually has. So about three weeks ago <laughs> with my nice. staff, we all took a quiz on spirit animal. You can go online. <laughs> Obviously, we did it. Uh, yeah. Raccoon. My You're a raccoon. You're a raccoon. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like you like digging in garbage and getting run over by cars? I don't know. What does that mean? <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> what is that? It, it described it as it described the raccoon as clever, stealthy, adaptable, adventurous, dexterity, you know, family. I mean, I can get behind some of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing ever positive said about a raccoon. It's like someone right, saying, fine. okay, a snake. Yeah. Okay, there's slime. They ran out of animals. They have smooth skin. <laughs> they they have kids. You're like, okay, I can get behind that. <laughs> like, they, they like bring out the positives. They like, I'm gonna, it's like an opossum. <laughs> like, you know, I'm an opossum. I'm, I'm like, you know, slinking. And anyway, all right, good. So he's a raccoon. All right, I like that. That's good. It is not uncommon when we have folks come back that they do evolve, that their spirit animal evolves. So we're happy that you went from what, what were you, an eagle to now a raccoon? A cheetah, that's right. That's right. Good, good, good. All right, good. Well, listen, here's what we want to know from you, all right? Um, There is so much talk about MIGS. MIGS. You know, everybody's talking about MIGS these days. And, you know, first of all, what the hell are they talking about? What is a MIG? Yeah, MIGS. I mean, uh, there is a lot of talk about it. You, you think about MIGS, minimally invasive glaucoma surgery. It's only been around for roughly 10 years. 2012-ish was when the first minimally invasive glaucoma procedure came out. But uh, boy, optometry is getting more and more involved, not necessarily because we implant them, but because more and more of these patients with whatever procedure they have are walking into our practices and we need to understand them and we need to be able to manage them. Uh, not only from a post-operative standpoint, but what about that patient that had it a year ago? And what should we expect to see and what should we expect to do? Tell me, so when I, aren't I, MIGs a crock of, crock of nothing? <laughs> I hear some of like ooh, my older yeah. docs I used to work with say it. MIGs aren't, they don't work. They don't do this. I'm playing devil's Just advocate. Just the surgeon making a couple extra thousand bucks for, right. you know, putting a, a plug in the... During you know, glaucoma tr- or cataract Let's I talk mean, about I, the critics. Some data here and Let's get, do a make small this data. Boring. No, no. Really? Yeah, make it boring. No, You're no, always no. good with like bringing the data. I like that. I want to know like your three, maybe two elevator pitch. Like this is obvious. You should know about this. 
Yeah, I mean, when you think about, for example, the stents, that's the thing we talk about the most are stents, right? There's, there's different stents out there. They're the most studied. And there is no doubt that there's great FDA clinical trials, peer-reviewed literature on the stents. They're probably the most studied. Now, there's other procedures we could talk about, but let's just take, for example, the Horizon trial. And that was a study looking at a Schlem's Canal micro stent called the Hydra stent. And you look at that particular study, and they now have six-year data out on that. So long-term data on that. 50% of patients were on one medication that study. 50% were on two to four. And right now, 66% of patients still at six years are medication you know, free. And so right there tells you that it's working. And it definitely outperforms cataract surgery alone in that study. You look at other FDA clinical trials around other stents, you know, the eye stent inject, which is from glucose. The story is very similar. Long-term data showing that these things are effective for an extended period of time. Now, glaucoma is a marathon. No matter what we choose to do, whether we use topical glaucoma medications, SLT, MIGS, we're really just buying our patients' time. We're protecting their vision, and we're just trying to get them through the marathon of glaucoma. And we have to use all these different tools. So by no means would I say, boy, if I have an implant like a hydrostent implanted, that's going to solve the problem of glaucoma for that patient. No, it's going to hopefully solve the problem for a window of time, and then we're going to evolve to something different down the road. I like that. And, and the safety profile is, right, that's, that's another good thing, right? It's pretty safe. Yeah, you look at safety profile, surgery, makes procedures are inside the eye. Anytime anything's done inside the eye, uh, there's going to be some risk with that. But when you think of stents, for example, in combination with cataract surgery, they showed in all those studies I just talked about that you're not adding any risk to the cataract procedure by having this done. And so I always say, right. if your patient has mild to moderate glaucoma and they're going in for cataract surgery because they have a visually significant cataract, there's absolutely no reason they should not be having cataract surgery plus a makes procedure because you're not. It's like Justin always says, just stick it in. You know, that's what I've heard him say before. That's what I think. I, it makes sense to me, you know, just stick it in there. I think it's a good plan. It doesn't hurt anything. It might help, actually. It might be good. You might like it. Just put it in there. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. So um, now when you talk about MIGS, all right, when you talk about MIGS, does that just mean a stent or is it other things like are there other types of you know because i think nine out of ten practicing doctors of optometry uh would when asked say you know what is a migs and and they would say well it's a little tube that you put in the eye during cataract surgery is that an accurate statement or is migs a broader classification yeah you're it's a broader classification but you're exactly right MIGS at times gets looked at as just stents. And there's right. so many other MIGS out there. Because right now, when you think of, of, of stents, for example, they really can only be done in combination with cataract surgery. That's their on-label usage. And we have plenty of glaucoma patients that have already had cataract surgery. Right, right. So then you're like, ah, oh, well now what? You know, right. We got to have other options. So we have goniotomies. And there's a variety of those that, you know, have, have come out or are on the market, hook dual blade, eye access. Uh, we have, you know, canaloplasties. Um, there's a procedure called Omni that's available, which is a, a viscocanaloplasty along with trachelotomy. So what they do is they run a little catheter into the into Schlem's canal. As they're retracting it, they're injecting viscoelastic. It's breaking up any adhesions in the canal. 
And then the second part of the procedure is they strip or remove the trabecular meshwork. There's new procedures that have come out, something called streamline, where they can create micro goniotomies and then inject viscoelastic in different directions to dilate the canal and break up adhesions. And so there's all these different procedures that can be done in a standalone situation. Now, all those can be done in combination with cataract surgery, but those all can be done as standalone as well. That, that is impressive. And so, you know, now, now let's go back to the stent conversation. So you, you mentioned a specific type of stent. What did you say? Was it the hydrus? Is that what you mentioned? That's one of the specific ones. Yep. There's eye stent injectors, hydrus. Those are the two stents that we typically think of. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I, and I think there is more research on stents alone, right? Like there's other stents coming out or maybe some, you know, that are very close to coming out. What would you say would be the difference between the ones that you're aware of or do you think folks should be aware of? You know, is there some that are better or not as good or from that perspective, just stents? Yeah, no, the, the future is bright in regards to that. You're exactly right. There's just uh, been one FDA approved where we're actually going to, or surgeons are going to actually be able to implant um, three stents. And okay. that will be nice because you can do that in a pseudophagic population. You can do it in more advanced glaucoma. And we know from a study uh, by CATS that was done quite a while ago that implanting three stents is more effective than just two stents. Uh, two stents is more effective than one. And having one is better than having none. And so more can be better. And so we will see this. There's been FDA approval of it already. It's just not in the hands of, of surgeons yet. But I, I mean, is, is there a study that says 15 or better than 10 and <laughs> 10 is better than five? I mean, why not just keep going? Why not just fill the whole angle with stents? I mean, has anybody gotten, you know, like real hot shot and just said, I'm just going to keep plugging away here and see what happens? Well, I, I don't disagree. So three, two, and one is what's. I will share a patient case. We have a patient that's four. Uh, you know, again, he's willing to pay for it. Every quadrant or what? Or is they right next to each other? Or what? A- they usually move about three clock hours. So they put one in, move three clock hours, and then place another one. So with the iStat inject, for example, it's two of them. You put one in, move three clock hours, they put another one in. Okay. Is there um, a rationale to placement in the first place? You know, is it, is it unique to the anatomy of the patient? Is it, or is it more due to the fact that we have, you know, specific vascular venous, you know, outflow in certain parts of the eye? What, what makes one choose one quadrant versus another? So a little bit has to do with surgeon comfort, to be completely honest. You know, if they can access, you know, a certain part of the eye easier than other parts, that's where they're going to place it. Uh, the majority of MIGS procedures, whether, whether we're talking stents, whether we're talking goniotomy, you know, all the other ones we talked about, uh, it's going to be done nasally. And the reason that it's done in the nasal quadrant is the belief is that is where the majority of the aqueous collector channels are. So aqueous flow will be more abundant there now. With that said, there's work being done by uh, Alex Wong looking at what they call aqueous angiography, which is fascinating work. What he's doing is interoperative aqueous angiography and looking at where there's excess collector channels, looking at where there's flow, where there's not flow, uh, Hmm. determining, you know, is every one of us built the same way? Are all our eyes built the same way? Do we have the majority of our collector channels nasal or not? And some evidence is coming out that that may not be the case. But what I really like about his work I think that could be one of the holy grails of figuring out MIGs and efficacy because 
if you can do aqueous angiography in the operating room very quickly, yeah. the surgeons hate to be slowed down. Totally. You do it quickly and they can identify where there's maybe not as much flow as there should be, or there's an area where there's excess flow, then they can target where they want to do these different makes procedures totally. and we can see more efficacy from these makes procedures. Do possible. things more intentionally, right? So, not so just- is, is that essentially just putting some dye in the AC and then watching it, you know, siphon through? Exactly. Yep, just yeah. like you would think with, uh, you know, fluorescein angiography with the retina. Same principle with aqueous angiography. Super hmm. interesting. Tell yeah, me, I'm, you know, a lot of us like listen to these comments and maybe you're in a private practice. Maybe you're, you know, in a group practice, but all optometrists. You're in a very unique clinic, a very advanced clinic, especially. Tertiary care setting. Tertiary yeah. care. But also, I would say that. Vance Thompson is a very unique setting where optometry and ophthalmology are very cohesive, at least from outside looking in. It seems like a very, you know, unique practice to be in. But for maybe a doctor that's solo or whatever, maybe you don't have as many connections, don't have your daily connections of talking with uh, ophthalmologists that are performing this procedure. How would you recommend going about, you know, approaching your doctors because i i said it in jest earlier but there are some older older or docs maybe even glaucoma specialists that aren't necessarily privy to to doing this or haven't necessarily put this into their practice pattern yet or even you know cataract surgeons or it doesn't have to be a glaucoma specialist doing this right so how would you approach or recommend docs to approach this subject you know what I mean? Maybe finding a doc in their area, ask, do you do this? You don't want to be like, do you do this? As in like, are you in the circle? <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. how do you go about it? I think it's a great question and, and it can create, I mean, it, it can be uncomfortable, obviously, for, for optometrists to do that. But what I would say, first of all, is educate yourself and understand the different mixed procedures. That doesn't mean you need to know inside out the data, but know what's out there, because I think that would be helpful to then, and I say it all the time when I do a MIGS lecture, I think it's important to find surgeons, and they are everywhere, you know, they are everywhere, that are doing multiple MIGS procedures and that are willing to work with you. And the ones that aren't and the ones that are doing just one type of thing, they're doing maybe one step, they're not doing anything else, uh, I would probably shy away from that and, and, and open up a conversation and be and, and open up communication. Uh, because I think of, I've, you know, like you guys have traveled a lot in the United States, been to meetings, been to events. I've been to ODMD meetings as well. And they're everywhere that are willing to co-manage and work with you on these things. And there are also a lot of them doing multiple types of MIGS procedures. So my advice always is go out there, talk to them. I know it can be uncomfortable, but educate yourself on the MIGS procedures and then find those doctors or surgeons that are doing it and have an open conversation about how you can be involved in caring for these people. Okay. I do have one more question. I'm following up on that. Sorry, Jimmy. I feel like patients or patients, uh, our listeners like, they always give us feedback. Like I like when you did that. I want you to say exactly. You pick up the phone, you're calling Dr. Bob Smith, you know, the glaucoma specialist in your area. I want you to literally talk to Bob Smith and give us a, give us a script. What do you say? You've never met him before. How would you even approach this conversation? Yeah. I would call him up and, and you know, I, I've done this before because when I before I went to Vance Thompson Vision, I was in, in primary care and, you know, I needed to move into town and I needed to, to meet someone and the people I needed to meet were, yep. were people at Vance Thompson Vision because I needed to refer someplace. 
Uh, so my, my go-to thing and what I would do, and I do it today even with optometrists that I work with, is I pick up the phone and, and would say, hey, my name is Justin Schweitzer. I'm a you know, a new optometrist in town. Uh, you know, I would love to see if you would have any availability to dr- grab a coffee uh, or even a lunch. And I'm willing to buy the lunch and I'm willing to buy the coffee, whatever it may be, because I want to talk to you a little bit about how I can work with you and refer patients to you and be involved in the care of patients with you to provide really good care in this community. And I would be shocked if that doctor would say no. And then from there, you can open up the conversation. Totally. Love that. Over the phone, emails, yeah, it just doesn't work that well. But if you can get face-to-face and have some time, that is where real communication can occur with this type of thing. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. You know, I think there is in some circles a empathy towards MIGs because they don't feel like it gives the um, pressure lowering effect that they associate with surgical intervention. You know, like it's I don't think I think it's like an all or nothing. Like people are like, you know, you're not on four drops, then you're not ready for surgery. Or if you are on four drops and you're you're, you're like kind of controlled, well then you're you're doing pretty good and we're just going to leave you right right there like that. And so, you know, give me the case, right? You know, for MIGs earlier. Um, you know, I think a lot of us have taken an interest in the front of the eye and, you know, helping people look and feel better and see better. Um, so what, what's your case for MIGS, you know, when you're talking to doctors in your community or when you're lecturing to, to docs, you know, I think there are many docs out there that have probably never um, referred for or managed a patient that has or will have a MIGS. Yeah, I mean, I could talk 50 minutes on this, but I won't. Uh, I'll, I'll keep it shorter. Because he just did, so everybody knows. <laughs> he just got off a lecture. The poor guy uh, just gave a lecture to the Optometric Glaucoma Society, and he was nice enough to actually spend a couple extra minutes with us, uh, you know, when he could be with his family talking to us. But um, that just talk, that just speaks to what good guy he is. So thanks. We really yeah. do appreciate it. It's fun to talk to. I'm more than happy to be here with you guys. <laughs> Um, you know, I think that, you know, the low-hanging fruit I mentioned it earlier is cataract plus glaucoma. That's the low-hanging fruit. But our mindset needs to still be an interventional glaucoma mindset. And some other thoughts around that are, you know, we should be asking our patients how they're doing with their medications. And one technique I use often is, you know, what, you know, you're, you're taking, you know, they don't know the names quite often, but I'll ask them, you know, what's the bottle color? of the medication that you're using and many won't know the bottle color. So I already automatically know they're not being very compliant. They don't know the color of the bottle cap. Right. And that opens the door to talk about options and and minimally invasive glaucoma procedures. And and you can pry a little bit and say, how much do you love that medication? The other low hanging fruit in my mind are your patients that are suffering from ocular surface disease and they are everywhere because we as doctors that are treating glaucoma are creating ocular surface disease in our glaucoma patients by using multiple medications. And I'm not saying one, one medication is not a huge deal. Now for some people it is, but quite often it's not. But when you start putting two medications on the eye, three medications on the eye, the ocular surface is getting beat up yep. and getting destroyed. And there's ways to minimize that. And MIGS is a prime example of where you can minimize that. 
And so you mentioned earlier, you said, well, you know, there's that idea that maybe these aren't as efficacious as some of the, you know, glaucoma surgeries that we traditionally think about. You're right. They're not going to lower pressure like a tube or a trap, but you're also not going to have to deal with the failure rates totally. and the infections and the hypotony and those issues. But what you will find out is you're going to take patients that are on three meds and you're getting them down to two and you're going to get patients that are two down to one and sometimes one to zero. So you're not only going to control their glaucoma, but you're going to improve their quality of life and going to make it easier on you and easier on them. And so not only is it the cataract patient, but you really have to think about the quality of life issues that your patients are running into as well. And that's ocular surface disease patients. And that's patients that can't take their medications correctly. Okay. This is a stupid question, but for patients that maybe, I mean, it's obvious that often we do MIGs in combo with cataract surgery, but let's just, like, let's say we have a 50 year old patient, we diagnose them with glaucoma. They've been using it for a little while or using their drops a little while. And we decide like, like, is that patient pre cataracts a candidate for MIGs? Like, do they ever do that pre cataract surgery? Yeah. So you're, so a patient that's phacic, mm -hmm. that's taking medications and, 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 and struggling. Yeah. That's the question I believe, right? Yeah. So yeah, we've done that. You know, I have a prime example, pigmentary glaucoma affects, you know, young myopic male quite often, and it's an aggressive type of glaucoma. And I have a handful of these patients, a bunch of them are in my practice, you know, 31, 35. And, you know, we'll definitely do, you know, stance in a fake situation on a patient like that. Now, that is off-label, to be very clear. And, you know, patients have to agree that they're likely going to have to pay for that. Um, but remember, we have the right to talk to our patients about things that are even off-label. Yep. There's no antibiotic that's used after cataract surgery that's technically on label, but would any of us not put a patient on antibiotic after cataract surgery? No yep. way. Right. That's off right. label. And so we can talk to patients about it and they have the right to choose to do it. And as long as we're not putting them in a harm way, we can do that. So there is a place for that. You consider it. Now, I would never probably recommend doing, um, you know, a goniotomy in a patient that's fake because of the possibility of, of, of bleeding, the possibility of, of, you know, could a cataract form if there was enough traumatic issues to the cataract. But the stent is a 15, 20 second procedure with the surgeon that's very good at that. So it's a consideration. Sure. But it's yeah. not common. I okay. will say that. Yeah, yeah. Just curious. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I think that's uh, it's we're hearing more about it. You know, you can't go to a meeting where you're not talking about MIGs. All right. You know, there's someone, uh, you know, usually you they're uh, talking about it and uh, folks are wanting to learn more about it. And certainly, I think as we think about ways to get patients off of drops while controlling their pressure, this is this is, uh, you know, something that we we should all be considering. So. One other uh, thing that is Holy Grail-esque, if you will, is well, two things. One is the injectable medicines, right? So we have, and we already have one, Darista, right? Um, and, I, and I believe there are others being studied. So give us a little bit on, on what do you think about those options and uh, how have you seen that work in your practice as far as success is concerned? Yeah, I think it definitely has served a, a purpose in our practice. Uh, I can tell you we just submitted a, a, a paper um, to ACRS looking at our results. Um, we've implanted about 282 or so, I think it's 284, 
uh, Darista in our practice, and I'll tell you where it fits. Wow. It fits with our ocular surface disease glaucoma patients. Yeah. Uh, my main use of it has been for patients that uh, are struggling with their drugs, with their topical medications. They have ocular surface disease. We can put one of these in the eye. I can stop their medication or medications. I know I'm still getting IOP lowering, and I can attack the ocular surface with whatever I want to, immunomodulators, I can plug, I can do thermal pulsation, whatever I need to do to get the ocular surface cleaned up. And if we look at some of the data around these implants, even though that implant is only releasing medication for four months, there's data from their phase one and two clinical trial that says 68% or so patients went six months without needing to be rescued. About 40% went 12 months. And 28% went two years that they didn't need to be rescued, meaning that we're getting longer efficacy from it than we believe. It's not just lasting four months. Now, to be fair, that study was small. It was only 21 you know, subjects in that particular um, subgroup. But clinically, I can tell you now after you know us managing around 280 or so of these, we have plenty of patients that are going much longer than four months. And it's, again, not a fix-all. And glaucoma is a marathon, but it's an ideal agent for someone that you maybe want to manage some ocular surface disease, and you do it in clinic. So it's quick, awesome. um, a quick betadine wash, a couple of drops of paracaine, and it is an injection, but the patient leaves immediately. They're on an antibiotic for four days, and they don't even know they had it done. Awesome. It's very simple. It's very quick and very safe. And so I think it does serve a purpose, although right now, you know, the FDA indication is only one of them. Sure. You know, we're not able to implant more than one at this point in time. I think it will be very useful when we can implant more than one. I think that so often, you know, all of these surgical options I mean, for, for most places are, let's call it out of our scope, just to say it simply. I know it's not really, but I feel like it's so important for us as optometrists to just plant those seeds, right? Because sure, we can manage with drops. Sure, we can provide this like quote unquote standard of care, but it does change people's life. And all you need to do is plant that little seed of like, oh, there is an injectable or oh, you can get a laser procedure to, you know, slow this down for now. You know, like what, where do you, what, where, what's your mentality on this? Like, how do you encourage people outside of the scope of working hand in hand on a daily basis? Yeah, I think you're, what you said is so important. I mean, we all, as doctors, took an oath to make sure we educate and offer options to our patients. We may believe in certain options more so than others, but I still think we need to talk about those options. Yeah. And so I break it down in my mind as, you know, what are my first line options for my patients? You know, I believe in topical glaucoma medications, and I'm going to offer that to my patient. But I also believe in SLT as a first line agent, and I'm going to at least offer it and talk to them about it. Yeah. And I believe in, in drug delivery. I think it's a, it's an option as a first-line agent. Now, which one do we do the most? Still in my practice, I do topical glaucoma medications the most. But every patient learns about those three things no matter what because I feel like it's my obligation to that patient to have at least had a discussion so they know that that's available. And I think the same thing goes for surgical glaucoma. When you know it's time to move into something surgical, I think it's my job to at least let them know that there's various MIGS procedures out there and provide them with a place to be able to look those things up. And so that's kind of how I handle it. I kind of take it as a, as a, as something that I 
committed to and made an oath to do it. And then I, they deserve to know what are available, even if certain things I don't necessarily believe in as strongly as, as other treatment options. Love that. What do you, you said you tell people to go look up, look things up and sort of alluded to that. Where do you, do you have a website you like to tell them to go look at or where do you tell them to go search? Google it. Yeah, no, I, I will. I'll, I'll do it in the room with them. You know, I'll specifically be talking about a certain technology that I like and, and I'll take them right to, you know, that particular, that particular website that has that information. Now we have some material in our office as well. Being the practice we are with, um, you know, a bunch of surgical procedures, we, we do have material, but if you don't have the material, if you're in a, you know, you're in your, you're in your, um, you know, private practice and you're seeing patients and you're making these recommendations, I would encourage you to spend an extra minute or two and, and take them to the actual website that's talking about those different options. Because no matter what the age of the patient is, they all have smartphones now. They all have access to computers. Totally. So we're all on that on a consistent basis. So uh, I know it can take a little extra time, but boy, in the long run, it really you know, pays dividends, in my opinion, if you take that extra time to educate and get them to the, to the right spot. Love that. Um, one new thing I just noticed that you have since you were last on is you are currently the president of South Dakota Optometric Society. We have a president in our, in our state. We're the, uh, he, he, he's the president of, you know, 17 optometrists, <laughs> four antelope, <laughs> right, right, right. and 17 wild they bison. They included four bears, too. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you, dude. How big, how big is the society, the, the association? You are or are you aren't? No, you are. You're coming out now because of that comment. 100%. <laughs> be there in a day. I'd love to, man. I, I, uh, I drove through there. I think I've told you this a couple of times. I drove through there uh, four times, I think, um, going out to northwest Montana and I did my rotation out there in uh, um, Glacier National Park area, Blackfeet Tribe, and stopped at Wall Drug every time. I went to the Badlands and all that good stuff. What an amazing place. It was, it was just awesome. You know, we have a good, good society. You know, we, um, you know our, our average meeting roughly – we get 80 to 100 optometrists at it. Um, that's our average at, at our meetings. Um, you know, active that's members that, that care about, you know, optometry. Um, and for me, it's just, it's about giving back to a profession that's given me a lot. So that's really the, the meaning for me and, and, and what motivates me to do it. Love that. It's awesome. It's awesome. What is next? What is on the list? What is next? Where can people come and hear your whole spiel? You said you could give you give us fifty minutes on you know each one of these topics. So, um, what are some of the big things that you'll be doing where people can find you? Academy. That's the that's the biggest one coming up. So I'll be at the Academy of Optometry uh, doing uh, a couple of glaucoma talks, doing a, a surgical glaucoma talk there. Um, with a couple good friends, uh, Dr. Walter Whitley and um, Dr. Derek Cunningham, and then doing um, a case, um, like an ACE course it's called, so it's a case presentation course. Uh, that one I'll be doing by myself, but it'll be a 50-minute case presentation that will kind of mix in a, a little of this stuff too. Love that. Fantastic. Before we leave, I have a fun thing. We've been doing a ongoing series as a board prep, okay? Ooh. A board prep. It's called... Um, Try not to stress. We're working together with OptoPrep, and we go over a board review question. And this oh, is a glaucoma-themed question, so we need your advice on this. 
All right. So the question it's is. A lot of pressure. I know it's a lot yeah, of pressure. Don't, don't, don't screw it up. up. Don't get it wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which of the following types of intraocular lens implants is not recommended for a patient who suffers from glaucoma with notable visual field loss? Good. Okay. Number one, a monofocal IOL. Number two, an aspheric IOL. Number three, a toric IOL. Number four, a diffractive monofocal IOL. Or five. You didn't say that one right. <laughs> what was I supposed to say? Diffractive a, a diffractive multifocal. Oh, what, I said yes. monofocal, my bad. Multifocal. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, and the last is an accommodating IOL. Yeah, no, that's uh, so I deal with that all the time. But yeah, diffractive multifocal, you want to be very careful with um, in a patient that has glaucoma visual field. Why? Why? Because glaucoma decreases contrast sensitivity. Nailed it. And you can have some decreased contrast sensitivity with that as well. Nailed it. Literally, you read the answer. Yeah, come on. <laughs> You're cheating. He's been studying. He's been studying Are for more. Are you seeing the reflection on our corneas? <laughs> Although, you know, there are some new lenses that have come out that are not necessarily diffractive, but providing some intermediate near vision that everyone's kind of heard about. So I think that, you know, that's changed as well, that we now have some options for patients we can talk to them about. Asterisk. Like that before. Asterisk uh, on that answer. That's an asterisk. But the practice <laughs> definitely you have to be careful with, for okay. sure. Uh, I like that. There you go. Love I like it. that a lot. Listen, brother, let, we, we, we promised we'd get you out of here as quickly as we can. So thank you so much for your time. Go enjoy your evening. Enjoy your family, your beautiful uh, uh, family. And uh, we'll see you very soon. Uh, I was an honor to do this with you guys. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Until Appreciate next time. It. Well, that's it. Before we go, reach out to us for feedback, questions, stories, things you want us to talk about, either through email or on our Instagram or Facebook. We can't depart without saying thanks to Valley Contacts for their support, both for the amazing lenses they make and the great people they are to work with. And be sure and tune in and listen to our next episode. But until then, try not to blink. <laughs>